Crack fans, the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins for all you football fans. And now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out as well. In addition to the usual bets, Everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you're a fan of a lesser-heralded team. Maybe it's the Detroit Lions. I'm just speaking off the top of my head here. I don't know any Lions fans, but maybe you do, and maybe that hypothetical Lions fan has noticed the fact that Jared Goff seems to hit his passing yards number in every game these Detroit Lions have played thus far. What you're going to do, little same game parlay. You'll take the Detroit Lions as an underdog, as they so frequently seem to be. You'll take whichever of their skill position players. Maybe it's Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, the Jared Goff passing yards total. You're going to parlay them together, and it's going to make things even sweeter. In fact, you can throw down on step up same game parlays once per game day all season long. Here's how it works. You're going to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use our promo code AOD to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. Again, that's code AOD only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply if you or someone you know has a gambling problem. Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming, 1-800-NEXT-STEP-IN-ARIZONA, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 877-HOPE-NY in New York, OPGR.org in Oregon. Call text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings. Now, it is the first week of October. All four of our 2022 Grand Slam events are officially in the rearview mirror. That said, if you think things are preparing to slow down in the pro tennis world, you, my friend, are sadly mistaken as it's another jam-packed week of action. So much for us to both monitor and preview this week on our Cracked Racket shows. Of course, on the men's side, we've got two ATP 500 events. Doesn't get much better than that. The men competing this week in both Tokyo, Japan, as well as Astana, formerly Nur Sultan, Kazakhstan. Just go look at each of those draws in particular. Go look at the draw in Kazakhstan. You've got top seed and world number one Carlos Alcaraz making his return to the court following his maiden Grand Slam title in New York. You've got Daniil Medvedev in action, last week's champion in Tel Aviv, a man by the name of Novak Djokovic. He's your fourth seed this week in Kazakhstan. That, again, is how loaded that draw is from top to bottom. Felix Ogier Aliasim, who's already been eliminated from the event, he was your number eight seed at an ATP 500 event. For a top 14 player to not be seeded in the top five, that's so 
rarely occurs at any event that isn't a Masters 1000. That isn't a Grand Slam event. And so again, that speaks to not only the strength at the top of that draw in Kazakhstan, but also the depth we see in that event, the depth we see across the board in terms of who's competing on the ATP Tour this week, of course. I would argue that's the appetizer. That's the hors d'oeuvre, dare I say, as the main course may come in Ostrava, Czech Republic this week as pound for pound, player for player, I think we have our single strongest draw of the 2022 WTA season. I mean, just look at Monday's day one matches at the event. We have already had two top 30 battles unfold. And again, we just concluded day one in Ostrava to have Ekaterina Alexandrova earn a three-set victory over fellow top 30 player Victoria Azarenka. To have 2022 Wimbledon champion Elena Rabakina earn a three-set victory over this year's Australian Open semifinalist Madison Keys. And to have each of those events, each of those matches, excuse me, happen on day one of this event. Dare I ask, what's Thursday going to look like? What's Friday going to look like? What's championship weekend going to look like? If day one provided any sort of foreshadowing for this upcoming championship weekend, it is going to be a jam-packed and drama-filled week of action in the pro tennis world. And of course, here on this segment, what we want to do for all of you Crack Rackets listeners is, again, break down the action each and every day. Going to try and offer previews of our four tour-level events every day this week here on the GSP podcast. Going to offer my picks as well on this Ace of the Day segment, courtesy of our friends at DraftKings. I want to run you through all the odds where I see the most value in any given day. I also want to talk about the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. What do the metrics say from a percentage standpoint? Who, between the players we see competing on court each and every day, has had the better 2022 season? What do the advanced metrics suggest may be some tactical advantages for each and every player in these matches? Again, am I going to spend five, 10 minutes breaking down every single match on every given day. No, I'm not going to do that. But in case you are new to this segment, I'm going to try my best to spend, I don't know, at least 30 seconds, perhaps a minute, touching on everything. Certainly, I will mention the matches I think you have to watch on any given day so that you can remain the most well-informed, best-educated fans, as we know all of you listeners are here at Crack Racket. So, yes, they're GSP Ace of the Day segments via our friends at DraftKings, where ostensibly I'm supposed to provide picks to each and every day's matches. And, yeah, we're going to be doing that, again, here on this show all week long. But I also like these Ace of the Day segments to serve as de facto previews for each and every day's play as such. Yes, I'll break down my picks at depth, but again, at a surface level, want to try and touch on everything happening around the globe, particularly because, again, we've got three 500-level events and then a WTA 250 in Tunisia that certainly has plenty of appeal as well, particularly given the fact that Own Jabur, a player who's obviously meant so much to her home country of Tunisia, so much to African tennis more broadly, to have the opportunity for her to play a match 
in her home country, it's going to be a special environment. And the longer she plays, I imagine the more electric that crowd in Tunisia will become. So even if that 250 is your undercard event on the week, again, so much excitement, so much for us to break down each and every day on this show. Of course, we'll recap each day's action over on our mini break podcast feed. All of these podcasts available Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, again, a massive shout out to our friends at DraftKings for providing us the resources, providing us the support to be able to provide all of you tennis fans with these preview podcasts. Doing these preview shows daily has always been something we'd wanted to do here at Cracked Rackets. And with all due respect to all previous sponsors we've had on this show, we never just we qu- never quite had the resources we needed to pull that off. We now do via our friends at DraftKings. So again, if you're ready to get in on the action, turn to our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. With that said, as we look at the next 24 hours in the pro tennis world, there is so much excitement. And of course, depending on where you live, there's really excitement happening at all hours of the day. With that action in Tokyo beginning you know, around 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Eastern time, you then get into the action in Ostrava, get into the action in, uh, I'm going to keep referring to it as Nur, as Nur Sultan. I think I just have to call it Kazakhstan moving forward. Otherwise, I'm going to make that mistake all week long. You've got the action in Tunisia starting early in the morning as well. Big week for the early risers on the East Coast. That said, if you're like me and you're you know, partially nocturnal. You also get that action in Asia. You also are going to get a little bit of action at just about every hour of the day. Certainly, we can use the normal hours, right, from like noon to 6 p.m. to play catch up, to record these podcasts for all of you listeners. As such, you should expect them to drop every day, some point between 2 and 4 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, I'm also here in LA, once again, in Santa Monica, to be specific, at Tennis Channel Studios, working another week for my friends at T2. As such, I may steer away from some of the matches I'm broadcasting. Just don't like the idea of the conflict of having picked a match, and then I have to go out on T2 and broadcast that match. Would never want to be accused of bias, as you know, bias is not something I like to think I have as a commentator, as a member of the media this point. That said, again, I would hate for that conflict to even, even the veneer of that conflict to exist. So I may steer away from some matches where you're like, Alex, why didn't you pick that? That one seems obvious. That one seems right up your lane. If I don't pick that match, it's probably because I'm calling it the next day for T2. That said, I do have a healthy amount of aces for all of you tennis fans here on our inaugural show of the week. In fact, I've got four aces as I look at Tuesday's action. A plethora of round one action happening at each of these tour level events. And I know there are challengers happening this week. I know every week there are countless ITF events unfolding around the globe. But during a week where we have four tour level events, that's going to be the focus for me here. Those four tour level events, maybe later in the week, we'll dip our toes into the challengers, dip our toes into the ITF level. Certainly, we'll talk about the most notable results that happen at those levels as they occur on our mini break recap 
podcast. But here on our Ace of the Day show, when we're previewing all of the action, if I tried to preview everything, these shows would take 45 minutes. So again, going to focus just on the tour-level play. And I apologize for the extended intro. I know some of you GSP Ace of the Day listeners will be like, we already know all of that, Alex. We've been listening to the show not only for the past month, but we've been listening to the show for the past three years, the past five years. We know what your episodes look like at this point. To you listeners, I appreciate your patience here on today's show is at the start of every week. Just like to, you know, set a little primer to any of our new listeners, which we are so fortunate to be gaining with every passing day. That said, again, my plan on today's show, run you through my four aces of the day. And yes, I've got four picks for you. Those four picks involve five different matches happening over the course of the next 24 hours. I want to make the case for each of those matches, nerd out and talk about the statistics for each of those players, what tactical points I like for the players I am ultimately picking for my aces of the day. And then to end the show, we'll look more broadly at tomorrow's board of matches. There are so many good ones as such. I feel like it's my job to at least provide a little bit of guidance to all of you tennis fans. What do you need to watch to remain the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. Hopefully, after listening to this show, you will have the answer to that question. That said, 10-minute intro is hefty even by my standards. So let's get into it. Here are my GSP aces of the day for the next 24 hours. Let's start with ace of the day number one. Yes, you know, it's funny. I just did this whole monologue, soliloquy. What's the better English here? I'll leave it up to John Parsons to decide. I just did this whole monologue on how I try not to bring bias into each or any of these picks. But simply put, I'm feeling really good about friend of the program, former Cracked Interviews guest Katie McNally tomorrow as she takes on on a blink of a in their matchup in Ostrava. You look for Katie McNally. She's a minus 140 favorite tomorrow as she takes on on a blink of a, of course, you look for McNally. Still sneaky young. McNally doesn't turn 21 until the end of November. And of course, it does feel like Katie McNally has been a part of our lives for quite a bit of time now. And certainly, why does that feel that way? Well, she and Coco Goff have already competed in Grand Slam finals. And Katie McNally has already clearly established herself as a top 40, if not better than that, I would argue top 25, top 20 doubles player already at this point of her career. And she'll be top 50 in the WTA doubles rankings for as long as she continues to play as a pro tennis player. That first serve, her first forehand, her aggressive mentality, her comfort level moving forward, you know, her ability to knock off the volley, forehand side, backhand wing, how comfortable she is swinging through the overhead as well. McNally, you know, from the state of Ohio, plays an aggressive front foot move forward sort of game style that, of course, will be rewarded on the indoor hard courts which of Ostrava, which I think are actually playing a little bit quicker. Uh, was my initial reaction watching day one's matches. You certainly have the opportunity to play attacking tennis, and if you're bold enough, that attacking tennis is ultimately rewarded. Of course, you look for Katie McNally. She gets to round one of this event via a couple of qualifying wins. Very impressive 3-3 three and three victory over talented uh, Chinese 21-year-old uh, Wang Shi Yu. She also earns an impressive 4-1 victory over Anna Karolina Schmidlova in final round qualifying. You look for McNally. Has it been the best season from a singles perspective? She's 19-20 and 20 overall. Had a stretch this year where she lost 7 out of 8 matches and perhaps even more concerning had a stretch where she lost. And it's the same stretch, but uh, 9 out of what? 
I think 11 total matches during that run to begin the year. But she's really steadied things since the start of the summer, made a quarterfinal run in the Netherlands on the grass courts and just, you know, has been winning matches at just about every event she's played since. You look for McNally, capitalized on that run, quarterfinal in the Netherlands, goes to Birmingham, qualifies, wins a match there. Now, she struggled, certainly, uh, at the U.S. Open, falling in qualifying to Elisabetta Cochiaretto. But I would like to point out that Katie McNally's last five losses have all come in three sets. She lost a three-set match to Kuzmova in Tallinn qualifying, lost a three-set match final round, uh, second round qualifying of the U.S. Open to ninth-seeded Elisabetta Cochiaretto. She, of course, won a three-set match in Cincinnati just to fall 7-6 in the third the next round to world number two own Shabura 7-5 in the third loss to Magdalena Freak 7-5 in the third loss to Christina Buxa you know again 19-20 and 20 overall and yet those last five losses four of whom came against top 100 players and all of them were in three sets the 20-year-old is close, very close to reestablishing herself as not only a clear-cut top 100 uh, talent, but a player who has the weapons and you know plays with the, enough consistency behind those weapons to just so clearly be in the top 100. Because you watch Katie McNally play, and of course she was one of the top juniors of her generation, so much double success, made a double, I think a single slam final at the junior level as well. The weapons are just so obvious for McNally. Again, the serve, the forehand, her willingness to step inside the baseline, be the aggressor, hit the approach shot, get to the net, play on her terms. We saw McNally have success with that style of play. Again, two straight set victories over two top 100 players in qualifying in Shmidlova, in Wang Shiyu. You know, that bodes well for McNally, who got the day off here on Monday, but now has a first-round matchup against a fellow qualifier in this event in Anna Blinkova. And look, for the 24-year-old Blinkova, it's been a pretty solid bounce-back year after a 2020 season that saw her go 9-14 and overall, after a 2021 season that saw her go 15-24 and and ultimately fall outside the top 100. Blinkova has steadied the ship here in 2022. 33-20 24 overall felt no shame in going down competing at some lower level ITF events where she had a bunch of success making a couple finals at the start of the year at the 60k level she makes a final at the 25k level before reaching a 125k final getting knocked out by Beatrice Haddad Maya you look uh, again for Blinkova reached the round of 16 in Seoul two weeks ago and comes through qualifying pretty successfully here this week as well Blinkova went over Korpats and Ponche each in straight sets to enter uh, this main draw. For what it's worth, you look at Katie McNally. She's a 53.1% favorite over uh, Blinkova tomorrow, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. McNally, also a minus 140 money line favorite over Blinkova. And with all due respect to the 24-year-old Blinkova, who I do think has some serious weapons, in particular her ability to strike the ball so cleanly on the return of serve. And when she strikes that ball cleanly, again, there's pop on those ground strokes. She's able to hit that ball through you. Yeah, she'll get a little bit sporadic uh, from that baseline. The errors will pile up, but there's no doubt Blinkova has the sort of weapons to get the ball deep into the body of KD McNally and just not allow McNally to have her feet set and tee off from the baseline as she's most comfortable doing. That said... 
This is a matchup of power versus power. And with all due respect to Anna Blinkova, who probably the more consistent of the two players, I think the power advantage goes to Katie McNally. I mean, you look at their metrics. Katie McNally, you know, if even if you want to take it down to the ITF level and find comparable metrics between the two, McNally holds 72.4% of the time. At the ITF level, you know, even in her best year, Blinkova was at 69.6%. You want to translate that to the WTA level, fine. You look for Katie McNally, she's held 60.8% of the time at the WTA level, which is 11% or about 10.3% below the average of a top 50 player. That said, you want to know what Blinkova's career average is? It's 56.8%. And the differences between the break percentages for each of them is negligible. It's like a 0.1% difference between McNally and Blinkova at that tour level. You know, again, it's strength versus strength. And against higher quality opponents, Katie McNally has been better at executing that strength, which is her serve, her plus one forehand. With all due respect, then Anna Blinkova has been. And I know Blinkova has won more matches here this season, but this is an eye test call. I had the opportunity to watch McNally play in Cincinnati. I had the opportunity to watch her play a bunch during that grass court season. And I just think the quicker the court, the bigger the advantage is for Katie McNally. You look for McNally overall in her career at the tour level. Katie McNally, 48 and 49 overall. You move that to grass courts, she's 16 and 8. Uh, you move that to hard courts, 27 and 32. I wish I could look up indoor hard courts. Unfortunately, I just don't have access to that. Uh, for all of you tennis fans right now. That said, again, if you're asking me who am I backing in this matchup, I'll take Katie McNally, who's the minus 140 favorite for a reason now. Certainly there's a little juice in that minus 140 number, and if you want to find more value, you can take the game spread. McNally minus two and a half games, which she probably covers in a straight set victory or even a victory overall is minus 110, so you can extract 30 more cents, I suppose, for every dollar that you're willing to spend on this wager. But again, Blinkova can get hot. Blinkova's also played well in qualifying. Now, I think McNally's serve is the X factor. It's the biggest weapon on the court. And, you know, again, she's served so well through her first two qualifying matches that I am backing Katie McNally in this one. But I think it could go three sets. And if you want to throw the over two and a half sets in the mix at plus 140, you want to throw the over 21 and a half games, which I actually think might be the most responsible play here at minus 110. I understand that as a slight hedge. I'm going with the McNally money line. And for what it's worth, she's fallen from minus 145 to minus 140 since I started recording this podcast. And a little look behind the scenes. It took me an hour to get the intro right. I am such a perfectionist, folks. I just I kept missing messing up a word, you know, in those first three minutes. And I have a theory where why wouldn't you just keep redoing the first three minutes if you don't get it right? Because the first three minutes are what's supposed to grip you in uh, as a listener. And by the way, those first three minutes turned into 10 minutes. Talk about overthinking at the start, compensating for my, I suppose, lack of fluidity in the introduction today. And honestly, that might be the biggest argument between me and super producer Daniel Westoff always who's I'm not going to get into the nuances of that argument but the length of introductions may be the thing we get most heated about nevertheless if you have not yet been introduced to the game of Katie McNally now is the time to take a look at it again I think her first forehand her first serve her ability to play first strike and move forward plus I think she's a slightly better mover than Blinkova 
For those totality of factors, I know you look for Blinkova. She's currently ranked 139. You look for McNally. She's 157 coming into this match. Give me Katie McNally, who I really do think has looked much more like her top 100 self down the home stretch of this season. The surface is playing fast. The ball is mounting low. That's the surface you grow up on in the Midwest. Give me McNally, minus 140 over Blinkova. Again, you look according to Tennis Abstract, McNally a 53.1% favorite overall. That said, that's ace of the day number one. I want to get back to Ostrova, by the way, because so many of those matches tomorrow are stayaways for me. I look at the money lines and they terrify me. I think we got a lot of pickums on the board tomorrow. I think tomorrow's a day to hit the over and just hope a bunch of matches go three sets, hope a bunch of matches, you know, are extraordinarily competitive as I think they will be. And again, we'll get into that as we look at the board later on, but let's get to ace of the day. Number two, and I'm going to go a little bit quicker through these aces. Now, as I think this one's a little bit more straightforward, I think Camille, my cruises tomorrow as he begins his campaign in Tokyo, you look for my check. He's taking on the qualifier show, Shimabukuro. With all due respect to Shimabukuro, who did an excellent job to qualify in Tokyo, good wins over Maria and Gosoida. The 25-year-old, currently 353 in the rankings. And it's not as though an injury or something has prevented him from being at his career high or being the top 100 player that he had proven he was earlier in his career. No, you look for the 25-year-old uh, from Japan. He's 10 off his career high ranking of 343, which he achieved earlier in the season. You look for Shoshima Bakuro in his career. He's 10-8 and eight against players who are ranked higher than him. That said, you look for him at the ATP level in his career. The only ATP experience uh, he has as a player came at Davis Cup earlier this season where he lost to Sergey Fomin, then got a win over Dennis Istomin, 7-6 in the third. This is his first non-Davis Cup ATP-level main draw he's played in his career, and you look for him at the challenger level even in his career, just 12-10 and 10 overall. Now, he did reach his second career semifinal at the start of this month on a hard court before getting knocked out by Stuart Parker, but with all due respect to Shima Bakuro, he's just facing a different caliber of competitor. In Camille Mycheck, you look for Mycheck, 19 and 18 overall on the year. He's 16 and 13 uh, at the ATP level, with by the way wins in five of his last six ATP matches. Of course, you look for Mycheck. He was one good approach shot away for maybe winning the title last week in Sofia. Mycheck was up 7-6. 5-3 on Marc-Andre Hussler. Of course, Hussler, the lefty, ultimately goes on to win the title in Sofia. My check again. Up a set, 7-6. Up 5-3 in a second set breaker. Hussler comes up with this ridiculous on-the-sprint forehand squash shot, passing shot to force 5-4. My check then has a match point. Uh, up 6-4 on his serve as well. Hits the exact same approach shot. And, of course, Hussler just comes up with the goods once again. A ridiculous on the full sprint forehand slice passing shot that Mycheck's unable to handle. You know, Mycheck went away in the third set after that. Drops it 6-3, gets broken early on in that third set. That said, you look for Camille Mycheck, 26 years old. Currently sitting at a pretty good spot uh, overall this season. Again, in the ATP rankings, Mycheck currently sitting at one, number 122, but perhaps more pressingly or more impressively even, you look at him in the race this year. Actually, interesting that in the points race, Camille Mycheck uh, currently sitting at number 114, closer in my opinion to the top 100 player that 
that he has been this season. You know what's interesting? Camille Mychek's also still not eliminated from the year-end finals. Now, he's got to win this event. I think he has to win Paris as well. He's got to win pretty much every match he plays the rest of the season, but that Mychek isn't eliminated yet from the 2022 points race. I don't know. That's just a funny little math note, I suppose, I see there on the board. That said, again, you look for Mychek. He's not making his first career main draw uh, at the ATP level. Mychek is coming off of a quarterfinal run. He's made, what, uh, three quarterfinals here this season at the ATP level, did it on the clay of Geneva, did it on the hard courts of Punai earlier this season. Did it in Sofia, obviously, last week. Has had a couple of days to rest, recover, lick his wounds after, again, what was a really tough three-set loss in Sofia. That said, you know, again, unless you have an overwhelming weapon like Hustler does on serve to really expose the weakness of my check, which is that big forehand backswing. And yeah, if you can pressure that forehand with pace, he'll generate some errors for you. But you have to be able to pressure it with elite pace. And with all due respect to Shima Bakuro, who I took the time to watch some YouTube of before making this pick. And by the way, you got to be pretty low-key if I haven't watched it play a match yet. And for Shima Bakuro, perhaps I should have watched him at the start of September with some of his challenger success. That said, I have not had the opportunity to see him play prior to watching the YouTube highlights. I just don't think the power is there to make my check uncomfortable. My check so smooth on that backhand wing, hits his spot so well on the serve, particularly with the benefits of getting to serve on indoor hard courts. You look at the tennis abstract singles forecast tomorrow, Camille Mychek an overwhelming 86.5% favorite. Now, it does feel like a little bit of a trap. As you look for Camille Mychek in terms of the money line, he's only minus 250 tomorrow. That feels a little bit low for Mychek. Why is it only minus 250 when he's playing a guy making his ATP main draw debut? Why isn't that number a little bit higher, maybe in the minus 400, minus 450 range. Am I a little bit afraid of the trap? Yes, I am. That said, as opposed to taking the minus 250 and throwing it in a parlay, I feel good about my check. This is an eye test, and my eyes tell me he was good enough to win that event last week in Sofia. Just let a brain fart get in the way of that. I look to him for him to recover well today, get a strong opening round win over Shima Bukuro and for my check, top 100 watch. I mean, again, this is a player who, with a good end to the year, can absolutely find himself back in the top 100. He wins his first round match in Tokyo. He'll jump all the way up to 108. He wins two matches in Tokyo. He actually will be back inside that ATP top 100. So I'm betting on my check this week. I think he's had a sneaky, solid season today. Give me the 26-year-old out of Poland uh, to advance and to have him do it in two comfortable straight sets as well. We'll take my check at minus three and a half games over Shima Bakuro. Minus 130, 1.3 units to win one in return. That's right. We're laying the full minus 130 on that one. By the way, we're laying the full uh, 1.4 units on McNally's minus 140 money line as well to win one unit in return. I now realize I forgot to say what the actual ace of the day was for McNally. It's taking her at the minus 140 money line, 1.4 units to win one in return. That said, those are aces one and two of the day. Aces three and four. A little bit more reliant on feel than it is the numbers or the eye tests. 
I just think former World Junior number one Diane Perry is on the rise. And anytime I can get Diane Perry at an, as an underdog at this point, I'm taking the opportunity to do so. Now, you look for the recently turned 20-year-old. She's 21 and 23 overall, 9 and 14 against top 100 opponents this season. Uh, certainly, she's got a tricky one on her fa- hands as she's taken on the sea at Serenko. Serenko, 33 years old, has been rock solid. From the start of this year, 25 and 13 overall. She's 22 and 6 against opponents ranked outside the top 50, and yet 8 and 10 versus top 100 opponents this season is Serenko. Again, in a very even match, you look at these two according to the numbers. Uh, Serenko, a 75.2% favorite according to Tennis Abstract, and yet, uh, you know, again, the smart betters, the Sharp plays, as they like to be said. Serenko's only a minus 140 favorite, according to the DraftKings uh, Sportsbook. And, you know, Diane Perry, only a plus 110 underdog as well, showing the books have a lot of respect for Perry's level. And you look for Diane Perry. She actually has more top 100 wins than Serenko this season. Serenko, 8-10 and 10 against the top 100. Diane Perry, 9-14. and 14. However, it's worth pointing out, Perry lost her first seven matches against top 100 opponents this season. So she's, what, 9 Nine and seven since the start of Roland Garros against top 100 opponents has wins over Krachikova uh, at the French Open, a win over Putenseva in Palermo. Really impressive hardcourt wins over Martin Sova, Vekic, Potapova of late as well. If you're asking me what is the single thing I like most in this Perry Serenko matchup, what is the single quality of either player that appeals to me? It's the Perry serve, the Perry forehand and the Perry athleticism. I know those are three things right there, but it's kind of a combination of those three. Perry uses that first serve plus her outrageously quick first step to get to that first forehand and uses her quickness to get to the net so well, covers the net extraordinarily well, has very good hands up there and is comfortable volleying just about anywhere on the court. The point is, I'm all in on the former world junior number one, Diane Perry, who is currently sitting at a new career high, number 65 in the live rankings. It just feels like ending the year in the top 50, putting herself in position to play all the big events next season. That's where Diane Perry should be. She has that sort of athleticism. She's made that sort of progress here this season. And with all due respect to Lysia Tsarenko, who, again, is going to ask every question of you. She'll make that extra ball. She'll generate a little better power, a little better depth than you'll expect on every ground stroke that she hits. That said... Perry's an athlete. Again, Perry's just a fighter. She's what's the expression the kids are using that nowadays? She's got that dog in her. She really does. Like she's just I just back Perry and I don't love her one-handed backhand and I think her slice sits up and I think it's very attackable. I think while she's decent at swinging through the one-hander, that's certainly the wing that her opponents know to go after and to try and pick on her on that ad side. That said, if you pick on her, she uses her quickness so well to get around that ball, explode through her forehand, and I do think the slice gets better and better with every match that she plays at the tour level. Again, in a matchup that's essentially a pick who has the more reliable weapon or who has the thing they do on the court that you singularly like most? And I think it's the athleticism of Perry, which bleeds into her forehand, her serve, her ability to get to the net and beat you to the spot. She's also a plus 110 underdog tomorrow 
Let's throw some money at a dog. Let's take Diane Perry plus 110 over Saranko. 0.25 units to win 0.27 in return. Again, I think this is going to be a really good match. And if you want to throw on the over in that match, completely understand that decision. You look uh, for these two, the over in Perry Saranko tomorrow, over 21 and a half games, minus 110 over two and a half sets, plus 130. Again, that feels like the mature thing to do if you want to hedge the Perry underdog decision. But I'm feeling pretty good in backing Diane Perry tomorrow as the underdog. So let's make that ace of the day number three. That said, only going to throw a quarter of a unit on it to win 0.27 in return. That's ace number three, ace of the day number four. I feel foolish even saying it out loud. And I'm not going to give you a massive justification for it either. Take this one at your own behest. We're taking Davidovich Fokina, minus 300 over Pavel Kotov tomorrow. Kotov, the lucky loser, into the main draw. I believe he's playing in Tokyo uh, as he takes on uh, Davidovich Fokina. You look at that matchup according to the tennis abstract singles forecast for uh, Davidovich Fokina tomorrow in terms of, again, the numbers that have him as a favorite. And no, he's not in Tokyo. Excuse me. He is in a stock. Tomorrow, you look uh, for Davidovich Fokina. Tomorrow, he is, according to Tennis Abstract, a 64.2% favorite against the lucky loser, Pavel Kotov, who has had a really good year at the challenger level. But, you know, for Kotov, who lost 6-3 and three to Alexander Shevchenko today in qualifying, sometimes those lucky losers do bounce back. But from giving that extra shot... This just feels like one Davidovich Fokina has to have. And you look for Foki, who's put himself in a really good position. He's currently 31 in the live rankings right now. And, you know, you look for Davidovich Fokina in the points race, 29th overall in points this season. Uh, doesn't have a ton of points to defend here at the home stretch. He can make a top 25 push. That opening is available to him with a strong ending to this season. That said, again, minus 300 for Davidovich Fokina from a non-quantifiable perspective, that feels like a trap. You know what else feels like a trap? Hatchinoff, minus 155 over Cressy tomorrow. And you look for Max Cressy here this season, 14-10 and 10 against the top 50. 7-3 and three is Cressy against fellow opponents who are six foot four or taller. On the flip side, you look for Hatchinoff. He's 4-4 four and four against opponents who are six foot four or taller here this season. You look for him against top 50 opponents. Hatchinoff, 9-16 overall on the year. So why am I backing the guy who's 9-16 and 16 instead of the guy who's 14-10? and 10? Simply put, yes, Hatchinoff played excellent uh, at the U.S. Open. He's got a little momentum on his side in this, what is his first match since that U.S. Open run. I just like how simple the game plan's going to have to be for Hatchinoff. I think Hatchinoff gets in his most trouble when he's got to think about what he's doing out on court. When that rally is extended, two, three extra shots, and Hatchinoff has to improvise a little bit more in order to find his way to victory. You know, the game plan against Max Cressy is very simple. Land your first serve. Land your first strike to the open court. Force Cressy to have to hit on the run because the moment he has his feet set, he's chipping and charging and getting to the net at all, uh, regardless of situation, regardless of what the scoreboard is. And I just like that game plan for Hatchinov, that he's going to have to be crisp on the return of serve and that he does have the size, the strength to kind of absorb some of Cressy's nonsense. Um, again, I could see this match being a three-setter. I could see this one going to at least one breaker, if not two, three, throughout the course of a three-set match. But what I'm hoping is that I've convinced the tennis gods I'm so foolish in backing Two unpredictable high-variance uh, players, Individovich, Fokina, and Hatchinov. What I'm hoping is that, again, I 
cajole the tennis gods into thinking, wow, this parlay is so stupid that it might actually end up working. Again, that's never the greatest of reasoning, but let's roll with it. Have a little fun here to kick things off. I'll take Davidovich, Fokina, Hachinov, money line parlay up to plus 119 when you put those money lines together. Again, we'll throw just a quarter of the unit to win 0.29 in return. But with that said, those are your four aces of the day. Again, McNally, minus 140 money line. My check, minus three and a half game. Game spread, Perry, plus 110 money line. And then a Davidovich, Fokina, Hachinov money line parlay. With that said, let's look at the rest of the board. Oh my goodness. Our tomorrow's matches in Ostrava, enjoyable. Just look. I mean, again, surface level. Ready? Ostapenko Sasnovich. Sasnovich quietly having the best season of her career. More tour level victories this season than any season in her career. Ostapenko, same deal. She has a higher win percentage this season than in any year but her breakout 2017 campaign. Of course, that 2017 season, the year Ostapenko wins her lone Grand Slam singles title at the French Open. Ostapenko minus 185 favorite tomorrow, but Man, Sasnovich doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and she's not an elite, elite athlete, but she's a pretty damn good athlete, and I do think, you know, pretty solid returner as well, a player with, you know, no definitive strength, but not a lot of weaknesses in the game of Sasnovich either. I might dabble a little bit at her plus 145, hope she wins the first set, live bet Ostapenko, then just ride that match out with my feet kicked up. That's a fun one, and for what it's worth, according to uh, the numbers, Yelena Ostapenko, 57.3% favorite. Radakanu Kasatkina, I mean, just book your two-and-a-half-hour space of free time now. That match is going to be a grind. And I'll tell you what, if Emma Radakanu's not injured... She's got, you know, again, the weapons advantage. You probably go Raducanu. Now, again, the fitness perspective, Yelene Kasatkina, her ability to move the ball into the outer thirds. If, you know, there's any still sort of wariness in the legs of Emma Raducanu, who's dealt with a bunch of nagging injuries of late, then, yeah, in that matchup, you lean towards Kasatkina. That said, if Raducanu's healthy, her ability to drive the ball, her renewed aggression on her forehand wing. Radakanu plus 130 is another interesting one, but in both of those matches, over two and a half sets, plus 150 in Ostapenko Sasnovich, it's plus 145 in Radakanu Kasakina. I'd probably take the overs. In both of those matches, Pliskova versus Parks. You would think Pliskova wins that match comfortably, but a lot of big serving, a lot of first strike in that one. Certainly Belinda Bencic, minus 650. I think, you know, on the most recent edition of the mini break, I made my case for why I think Belinda Bencic is having the best season of her career. She's a minus 650 favorite against Jeannie Bouchard, 86.3% according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. But I'm sure many find that match interesting for a variety of reasons. And of course, it's great to have Jeannie Bouchard back on court. It'll be fascinating to see how healthy she is. Of course, those are your matches as we look across the board in Ostrava. You look at tomorrow's matches happening in Monaster. I mean, Fruvertova still alive in the GOAT debate. As you know, Linda Fruvertova coming off of her first WTA title of her career. She's taken on a player who has been sneaky solid in the Gazelle, Petra Martic. I think found pound for pound, you're not going to find a fitter player on the WTA Tour. So lock in Fruvertova, Martic. That's going to be delightful. Onjabur playing in front of a home crowd against the always dangerous and now seemingly finally healthy young American Ann Lee. Lee's got sneaky firepower, sneaky good mover. The over-under in terms of games is 18 and a half. 
I think Lee keeps it closer than 6-3, 6-3. I think they have one really close set, maybe a 7-5, a 7-6, and then they hit that over 18.5 with ease. Now, minus 140, you're laying a little juice, but 18.5 games is too light in that matchup. And then, you know, a bunch of pickums across the board elsewhere. I mentioned the perry Serenko match. You've got uh, certainly Dart versus Prez as Diaz. That feels like a pickum. Rekomova versus Uchijima. That feels like a pickum. Rusa versus Rodina. That feels like a pickum. Freak, Kudermatova, both in action. They may be your prohibitive favorites. But outside of that, again, it's going to be narrow uh, margins defining just about every match we see tomorrow on the WTA Tour. Going to be a fun one, of course. On the men's side, we're rocking and rolling in both Tokyo and in, I wanted to call it Nurse Sultana or Astana. Again, that's why we're going to just call it Kazakhstan throughout the course of the week. We'll start, though, in Tokyo. Alex Diemenauer's lines moved. He was minus 450, down to minus 400 against Kwon Sun Wu. I mean, look, Kwon Sun Wu going to be able to match Diemenauer from a physicality perspective. Going to be really difficult for either guy to hit a winner cleanly in that match. So, you know, who sang the song? Let's get physical, physical. You know, I don't want to get a copyright in infraction because I know how spectacular that impersonation was but at ale gruskin who sang let's get physical i know i could just look it up on google but it's more fun when i hear from you listeners so if you make it to minute 42 of this gsp ace of the day preview please let me know who sang let's get physical of course speaking of let's get physical moonar versus rude it may be a three and three win for casper rude but that match is going to go two and a half hours and you know again Borna Chorich, how healthy is he really taking on Tanasi Kokonakis tomorrow? That's a match that, had you said in 2015, hey, Kokonakis versus Chorich, I think many of us would have been like, oh, it's probably a quarterfinal of a major. And instead, it's first round in Tokyo. That's the good stuff, folks. Evans minus 320 against Elbot. Elbot won a challenger a couple of weeks ago. That match feels like a trap match. I'm always afraid of Dan Evans when he's in that minus 320 range. Mackey. McDonald my, minus 575 against Uchijita. Uh, you also get a little Nick Kyrgios action as he's taken on former world junior number two Sung Chin Sin. Now, Kyrgios has the overwhelming weapons advantage in that matchup, but you know, it's been a while since we've seen NK play, so excited to see that one unfold. And then, of course, you've got the ATP action happening in Astana, Nur Sultan, Kazakhstan, however you want to refer to it. Going to be a fun day of matches, certainly. And, you know, again, I know I already referenced the Hatchetov match. I already referenced the Davidovich-Fokina match. But, again, eh, equally exciting as they're going to, uh, as you look across the board, certainly Tsitsipas back in action, Alcaraz back in action, you know, Medvedev back in action, even if they're not playing the most uh, eye-popping opponents to see multiple top five players in the world play on Tuesday, October 4th. Oh, that's what you dream of as a pro tennis fan. Again, best match of the day in Astrana tomorrow, probably Hatchinov versus Cressy, which of course I'm foolish enough to bet Karen Hatchinov. And interesting, Hatchinov from minus 155 down to minus 150. Boy, I don't like that all of these picks I'm looking at. Their value has gotten better over time here. Nevertheless, 
I'm feeling good. You know, again, I'm feeling pretty confident going into the next 24 hours of picks. So again, my aces of the day for the next 24 hours. I'm taking Katie McNally. Minus 140 over Blink of a 1.4 units to win one in return. We'll take my check. Minus three and a half games over Shima Bakuro. Minus 130, 1.3 units to win one in return. Perry, plus 110 money line over Serenko. 0.25 units to win 0.27. And then a Davidovich Fokina Hatchinov parlay. Plus 119, 0.25 units to win 0.29 in return. With that said, those are your aces of the day for Monday, October 3rd, of course, or I should say for the next 24 hours of tennis. So technically for Tuesday as well. That said, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings for their continued support. If you're ready to get in on the action, there's only one place to turn to, folks. It's the DraftKings Sportsbook. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings. And from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. 